The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, welcome to church. It's great to have you. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the sunshine. I am enjoying the sunshine. My clothes are dry. The ones that I'm wearing right now are dry. Like I, you, you know the feeling when you put on clothes and they're still wet under the armpits and you're just like, oh, that's just the pits. It actually is the pits. It's terrible. Sorry, that was a terrible joke. Um, Welcome to church. It's great to have you. We are we're finishing our series in uh, this topic called Rest Today. Uh, and there's a couple of things I want to say before we finish up this series. And that's f- firstly, is that I know that we haven't covered everything. There is a lot more from God's Word that we can discover uh, in this theme, in this topic of rest. And I think we've actually uh, only really begun to scratch the surface of this theme, of this important issue, the need to be able to rest. And my hope is that even though this is the end of our series, that this wouldn't be uh, the end of rest for us, that actually would be the, the beginning, and, and rest would be something that would be, uh, we would discover more as we, as we go on in life together as a church. Secondly, the second thing I want to say is that just the reasoning behind this series and and the reason why I think it's important for us to continue and to carry on thinking about these things is because many of us live just very, very busy lives. And if we don't live busy lives right now, there could very likely come a time where our lives will just become busy and we can become overwhelmed by the busyness of life. And we might ask, is busyness really that much of a bad thing. And I, want to, and I want to say, and I think what the Bible would say is that, yeah, it can be very, very dangerous for us. See, when we're busy, our priorities start shifting. And the things that are urgent start taking priority over the things that are important, such as our relationship with God, such as spending time in prayer, spending time in God's Word, uh, being involved and participating in the life of the body of Christ and really our overall well-being. Busyness is very often the precursor to isolation and to loneliness. Corrie ten Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And I think there's truth to that. It can cut us off from God. There are two things that make busyness particularly harrowing. Firstly, we often wear busyness as a bit of a badge of honor. Like if someone says to us, how's your week? How, many, how often do we say, oh, you know, busy? That's just what we say. It's how we kind of re- reply to those things. If someone says to us, you do too much, you know, you need to slow down, you do too much, we are more likely in our culture today, we are more likely to take that as a subtle compliment rather than a critique. Secondly, busyness becomes our excuse for many failings. I just haven't had time to read my Bible lately. I've just been busy. I just haven't had time to really spend so much time in prayer. I've just been busy. I really wanted to catch up with my neighbor and see how they were going after their dad died, but, you know, life's just busy, you know? Busyness becomes, can become our excuse our reason to stop doing the very things that God has called us to do. And so my hope is that as we think about this theme of rest, that it will shift from being just a nice ideal that we'll get around to at some stage, that we'll finally get some rest when things start to quieten down, 
And we'll shift from that to being something that is a priority for us, that we pursue it as a means of worshipping and glorifying God. And I think that as we explore our passage today in Matthew 11, we're going to see that Jesus cares that we find rest in him. So let's pray, and then we'll get into our text. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have it, and we can understand it. We can read it, and we can know it, Lord. And Father, we don't want to take for granted that you speak to us through your word. These are your words. They're not mine, and they're not special ideas. They're not simple little suggestions, Lord. This is your authoritative word in our heart and our lives. The Holy Spirit be with us this morning, and would you illuminate your word to us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you glorify Jesus Christ in this word and in our midst this morning? God, we desire to glorify you, to magnify you, to lift you high, and to declare that you are great and holy and mighty above all things. And so right now, we want to situate and position ourselves in such a way to receive from you, to be taught by you, to be corrected by you, to be encouraged by you, Father. Holy Spirit, do that in our midst this morning. Lead us towards the Son. Lead us towards the beautiful face of Jesus. And may we become convinced that Jesus is far better and and, and is far greater than anything else that we've got going on in our lives. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. At uh, Easter time, uh, my family and I, we went on a little camping trip, a little caravan trip down uh, down to a caravan park near Bribey Island. And I was really excited because I got a new car at the start of the year, a four-wheel drive ute. I've been wanting a four-wheel drive ute for about 15 years, so I was finally able to get this ute and tow a caravan. We, we hired a caravan, and I was very interested in the towing capacity for my, for my car, which is 3.1 tons braked. Like, it can tow a lot. And the caravan that we hired um, was a big one. 2.8 tons, so 300 kilos short of the capacity of this car. So I thought, I think we've got this. I think we can do this. Um, when the guy dropped the caravan off to us for, uh, for me to tow it, uh, he was short on time, I was short on time, so we didn't actually get to test it first. And so it wasn't until the next morning when we had all the kids in the car and all our stuff in the car and I hooked the caravan up, that was the first time that I actually towed that caravan and I made a pretty significant error. And that is that... I didn't just consider the, the towing capacity of the vehicle to be able to pull the caravan forward, but there's such a thing as tow ball weight, which is the weight of the caravan as it pushes down on the back of the car. And so it pushes down on the back of the car and it kind of seesaws the front of the car up a little bit. And so the steering at 90 kilometers an hour on the highway with a 2.8-ton caravan behind me felt like driving on ice. And it was, it was a scary trip. It was only like half an hour, 25 minutes actually on the highway. Um, we were staying with Matt and Jazz and Matt got there and I was like white as a sheep and very, very like, oh, just kind of shaking. Um, the kids did not say a word the entire time. They were so terrified. <laughs> Um, and yeah, we got there and it was pretty scary. Pretty, and I actually called the guy who we hired it off and said, "Hey, you need to come and pick this up in a few days. I'm not driving this anymore." 
and he explained to me what Tobor weight was, and we went from there. And just like my car, we have a capacity limit. We have a threshold that we just can't go over. And when it comes to the amount of weight that we can carry, we can't go over that. And not just a physical weight, obviously, but a spiritual weight. We have this spiritual weight, that feeling of of trying to carry and bear something that we weren't actually meant to carry and bear. We have this deep desire, each one of us, to be righteous. You see, God created mankind perfectly in his image. And when sin entered the world, that that image became fractured, leaving us with just a shadow of what things were meant to be, an an imprint of something that we know ought to be in our lives but isn't there. That shadow is the knowledge that things aren't actually right, but they ought to be. And each one of us has this deep, deep longing down inside to be made right. It's right, rightness with God. And so we get about trying to fix that problem, to right ourselves, to justify ourselves. This is what is meant by the term self-righteousness. It's taking justification into our own hands and attempting to make ourselves right with God, acceptable, with God, acceptable to God by our own merits and out of our own means. And one of the things that has really surprised me in this series, as I've been preparing each week for the sermons, is just how closely rest is related to righteousness. Like I didn't put those things together, but every time I've come to the, to the Bible to, to see what the Bible has to say about rest, it just keeps coming back, this idea of resting in the righteousness of God. But as I think about it, and I was thinking about this this week, We shouldn't be surprised that rest is so closely related to righteousness. Because when Paul talks in in the Apostle Apostle Paul talks in his letters about the issue of trying to make ourselves right with God, he uses the term works, being the opposite to rest. Rest, then, as the Bible talks about it, is the opposite to works as a means of self-justification. It's not just physical rest that we need. Underneath the physical rest that we need is the deep spiritual rest that we long for, the deep, rest, the deep knowledge that we have been made right with God. And this is how I want to finish the series today, by looking at that deep spiritual rest, that deep rest that goes underneath everything else that we receive from God alone. When we started this series uh, five weeks ago, We looked at Genesis 2 and just the simple fact that God rested on the seventh day of creation. And then in Hebrews 4, that we are actually invited to partake in his rest. And then today, as we finish off the series, we're really kind of closing that loop and saying, hey, Jesus is the one who gives us that rest. And so we see that from this passage, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. There's three things we're going to see here. We're going to see Jesus' open invitation his gentle heart, and his buoyant grace. Jesus' open invitation, his gentle heart, and his buoyant grace. So let's look first of all at this open invitation from Jesus. He says in verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That word there, come, tells us straight away this 
is an invitation. This is the same way that Jesus invited his disciples to follow after him, to come to Jesus. And this helps us understand, just very simply, when Jesus says, come to me, he wants his people, he wants sinners to come to me, come to him. Very often we might think of Jesus as being like a, a, have the image in your mind of a small child, a little boy holding a dead fish by the tail and, his, and holding his nose with his other hand and it stinks and it's gross and he's like, ugh, but he can't let go because he just wants to hold on to it. And sometimes we think of ourselves as that dead fish, that dead rotten fish and Jesus is kind of holding ourselves out, us out there like, you know, he's got us but only just and we're like, anything, if, if we get a little bit worse then Jesus is done with us. But actually, Jesus says, come to me. Like if we were to believe what Jesus says here, we could assume, we should assume, that what he wants is for us to come to him. Come to me. But we should ask, who is this invitation to? Certain, you know, type of person? Do you have to meet some kind of criteria? Well, Jesus says, come to all who labor and are heavy laden. This is an open invitation, and these words are important. That word that's translated labor there has this sense to it that it's deeper than just hard work. Your translation might say toil, uh, or might say weary, that's a good translation. That, that labor, that toil, that weariness is that point in work where you are absolutely exhausted, where you're absolutely worn out, you feel like you've got nothing left to give, and you look at what's left to be done, and that pile seems to have grown bigger. Like, you know when you're checking things off a list, and as you check things off a list, two more things get added somehow? Like, it just keeps getting more and more. And it speaks to this idea of being exacerbated. You know that feeling of getting to the end of a very long day, whether it's with work or family, whatever it is. And it might be the end of a very long week, and you get to that night, and you feel like all you want to do is put your feet up and, and just chill out. And then you look at and you remember... Oh, wait, I've still got to finish that assignment. Or worse yet, I've still got to start and finish that assignment. <laughs> I've just got a, I've, I've got a meeting tonight, and that meeting is going to take it out of me. I've got people coming over, and that's going to be a tough conversation. I've just got too many things to do. It's like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but that light is getting further and further away. That's what it means to be weary be exacerbated like the end is not in sight and then he talked about being burdened and Jesus there is talking about the sheer amount of stuff that is on our plate think about the cargo think about it as cargo that we have to carry with us wherever we go the stuff that just really pushes us down as a pastor, uh, I have the unique privilege of hearing a lot about the kind of cargo that exists in this church and you need to hear this. There is some heavy-duty cargo in this church. Some of it is the expectations that many of us are carrying, that, that somebody's put on us or that we've put on ourselves to reach a certain limit, to, to, to achieve a certain result or whatever it is, and we just feel like we've got to go through life trying to, to meet someone else's expectations, and that is a heavy load. For others of us, it's, it's that we've, it, there's unmet expectations. It's a disappointment of unmet expectations. And it's not as if those expectations were particularly high. It, it's things like, 
finding a significant other. It's not as if you were like looking to be a millionaire. It's just like just the regular things that you feel like just you, you want in life, the things that you've, you've hoped for, that you've prayed for, and that, that hasn't actually arrived. And that is weighing you down. For some of us, it is deep, deep loss. The losses of, of a loved one. The loss of a parent, the loss of a child. For some of us, it's heavy-duty sin that we carry around with us all the time. Sin that was 20, 30, 50 years ago, and we're still carrying around with us. Sin that was yesterday, and we, we, we can't get out of that hole. Nobody else knows about it, but we carry it with us wherever we go. This weary and heavy, heavy laden, this burdened person is someone who knows that, that things are not right. That there is a void in their life where they know that because of their sin or because of someone else's sin, things aren't as they should be. And when we look at the way that Jesus talks about this, uh, that word labor is in the active voice, that word burden, heavy laden, is in the passive voice. And this really kind of describes our toil that we go through. We are so often the victims of our own folly. We've tried and tried to remove this burden from our shoulders. We've tried to get rid of this crushing mass, but it only seems to be getting heavier with each attempt. I've been reminded again of... Pilgrim's Progress, that book by John Bunyan, written hundreds of years ago. Christian, the protagonist in the story, fell, was left to stumble in the slough of the spond. He fell into a bog, but he still endeavored to struggle to that side of the slough that was further from his own house and next to the wicked gate, the which he did but could not get out because of the burden that was upon his back. We try and try to get out of the muck and the mire that we find ourselves in, but because of this burden on our back, we can't do it. And it's to those people that Jesus extends his invitation to come to him. Sometimes we feel that we need to unburden ourselves before we come to Jesus. Sometimes we feel like we need to have a, a good run, at least a string of like three or four good days in a row, then we can open our Bibles, then we can pray. Sometimes we feel like we have to become a better version of ourselves before Jesus will open himself up to us. But friends, the opposite is true. Your burdens and your toil are the very things that qualify you to come to him. It's our sin and not the opposite that qualifies us to receive his grace. How have you tried to unburden yourself? Maybe it's by money and the acquisition of things. Maybe it's through trying to get a promotion. Maybe it's through a significant relationship. Maybe it's by achieving some, some big goal in your life. And you've toiled and you've strived and you've worked and you've labored to get that thing, thinking that that thing would tear that burden from your back, but it hasn't. And you're exhausted. If that's you, Jesus is talking to you right now. The invitation is not to unburden yourself and then to come to him, but it's to come to him and he'll be the one to give you rest. He says, I will give you rest. 
I'll be the one that gives that to you. And that word rest that he uses there has this idea of something coming to a stop and settling. Jesus literally says, I will rest you. I will be the one that does it. I will cause you to come to a stop. I will cause you to settle. This is the warmest and most generous invitation that we will ever receive in our entire lives. This is the warmest and most wonderful invitation. It's an invitation from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it's, it's, it's extended to, to sinners like you and I. It's an invitation to come and receive his rest. So that's Jesus' big open invitation. And then we learn in the next verse about his gentle heart. He goes on in verse 29 to say, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now we might initially look at those words, those first words there, take my yoke upon you and think to ourselves, oh dear, that sounds like more work. See, a yoke was a big piece of, of timber that was laid across the shoulders of oxen and they, it would cause them to, uh, to walk straight as they dragged farm machinery through a field. The idea of Jesus saying, take up my yoke, that doesn't sound very pleasant, <laughs> sounds like more work to do. But as we'll soon see, the, Jesus, the, the yoke that Jesus talks about here that he's offering us is not a demanding or a harsh yoke. It is an easy yoke. And what he's, what he's doing here is he's trying to show us that his way of leveraging the burdens off our shoulders is better than the world's way. And he's inviting us, come and try my yoke. See, what, is he, what he has in mind here is meant by the words, learn from me. He says, take up my yoke and learn from me. That's really helpful language to understand the Christian life. That word learn is the same word that we get the word disciple from. and implies that Jesus is talking about the long path of discipleship, the lifelong apprenticeship to him. It's not as if we have a switch on our backs and when that switch is flicked, then we can rest and Jesus knows how to flick that switch on. What he's doing, what he's saying is, come and learn from me, learn my way. Learn my way. We've tried the world's way. Jesus is inviting us to try his way. It's something that is learned throughout our lives, that we grow in as we come to understand. You see, we are schooled extensively on the fine art of self-justification. Every single TV ad, every single billboard, every single ad on YouTube, and wherever you see ads these days, presents to us someone who has managed to find justification, whether it's in their new car, or their newly acquired relationship, or their incredibly low interest rate, or their new shoes, or that holiday, or whatever it is, that person's done that thing, and then they've found righteousness. They've, they found justification, like life is now good because I have this thing. And what Jesus is inviting us to is a different school, a school to unlearn that stuff, and a school to come and take on his yoke, to learn the way of Jesus. And what Jesus teaches us The way of Jesus, the way that Jesus justifies us, the way that Jesus makes us righteous is phenomenal. We call it good news. In in dying for us, Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our failure and for our sin. 
And when we put our faith in him, and we look at Jesus and we say, he is my righteousness, and we trust in him, we become a Christian, and his righteousness is imputed to us. His righteousness becomes imprinted on our hearts and on our lives as the greatest and truest reality for our lives. It is the most definitive thing for us because when we receive that from him, God looks at us and he says, that person, that man, that woman is righteous. By putting our trust in Jesus, he makes us righteous. This is the wonderful good news of Jesus and that is open for anyone who comes to Jesus. Regardless of what you've done or how many times you've done it, or how long it's been since you last did it, the grace of Jesus Christ is extended to each sinner as a free gift to be justified by him and to call Jesus our Lord and our King and our Savior. Now we might have a question then, and this is, why should we trust Jesus? Like, Why is Jesus' way of righteousness better than the world's way? Like it seems quite simple and easy to go and, and get the lifestyle, or get, the, get whatever it is that we think is going to be good for us. It's quite, it seems quite easy to get that and have that. Why is Jesus' way better? And that, those questions are what is anticipated by the word for. Jesus gives us his explanation. This is why, says Jesus, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. If you've not had the chance of reading uh, a book by Dane Orland called Gentle and Lowly, can I encourage you to do so? If you were to read nothing else this year, apart from the Bible, pick up a copy of Gentle and Lowly. That book will change everything for you. This is where Dane Orland, the author, gets this phrase from. The words gentle and lowly, they need to be investigated because they are deep and, and meaningful. They are, they are heavy duty. They are weighty, they are full of joy, and they are overlapping with one another and complementary in meaning. Gentleness is meekness. It's understanding, easygoing. It's mild and welcoming. To quote a couple of old theologians, the gentle person has a mild look, a smiling countenance, a soft voice, a tranquil demeanor, is courteous, charming, and gracious, but also quiet and reserved, and at the same time, easygoing and welcoming toward all. That's the word that Jesus uses to describe himself in his heart. Now, gentleness, particularly in some corners of today, is not seen as a good virtue. It's seen as weak. It's seen as soft. Someone said to me recently, he said, just, he said to me, I'm so sick of this meek and mild Jesus that you're talking about. I don't buy it for a, for a moment. I want the Jesus who is rough, who, who is severe, who, who is tough. I don't think that that's who Jesus is at all. All we have to do to see that is just read a few verses earlier from in the same chapter, Matthew 11. Look at verse 23 with me. Jesus is pronouncing woes and judgment upon a bunch of cities and towns that even though he, he did a whole lot of miracles in those cities and towns, they still continued in their disbelief. He says in verse 23, And you, Capernaum, this is the Capernaum that, we, that Jesus was at last week. We looked at when he, was, we, he began his ministry. He says, you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No. 
you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. This, he's referencing Sodom, that, that place, that town in the Old Testament that was destroyed by God. But I tell you, it will be more toler- tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. What was Capernaum's sin? Unbelief. And Jesus pronouncing this, this fierce woe, this fierce judgment upon them. Jesus is not soft, but he is gentle. Then lowliness speaks of someone who is of low social status. We might think of lowliness as being someone who is down on themselves, but actually he talks about somebody who is uh, of low social status, who is undistinguished, of no account and unpretentious. The lowly person doesn't draw attention to themselves. They are of low birth. They are another face in a crowd. For many years in ministry, I uh, have worked bivocationally as a cleaner at, at different schools. And uh, it's just a great job to, to be able to earn a few extra bucks. And it's always really interesting to me how people treat you when you're a cleaner. Uh, and for the most part, people were very kind and treated me with respect and honor and dignity, and it was fine. But years and years ago, when I was, even before we were married, I was working as a cleaner. And I'll never forget, I walked into one classroom, and it was at a school, and I knocked on the door and I said, hey, I'm just here to empty your bins. And the teacher didn't even look up from his desk. He just said, yes, come in, cleaner. And I was like, all right, that's totally fine. I guess that's where you are, that's where I'm at. I mean, you were one of my teachers at school. You know what my name is. Um, that's fine. And he just kind of talked down to me in that way as if that was a... Now, whether or not he meant it that way, I don't know. I don't know how else to take it. But this is how Jesus... This is, this is that kind of lowliness, that kind of that low, that low person in society... This is the word that he used to describe himself. We might balk at this description of Jesus, but when we think about it, this is incredibly disarming. Jesus talks about himself as being lowly. He's not talking himself as being this somebody who we have to dress up for. Like you know how comfortable somebody is around you by how they dress when they come to your house. If you invite someone up for dinner and they turn up in a ball gown and a tuxedo. That's saying something about what they think about you, or they're just having a bit of a laugh. Uh, we find it really encouraging and genuinely com- encouraging. Um, Audi and Rachel have often come and babysat our kids, and I love it when they rock up barefoot because they're like, "Yeah, we're just here to hang out with the kids. It's it's great." Rachel always looks fantastic. Audi, not that great. <laughs> when when the way that someone, what Jesus is saying here is. There's no dress code for me. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to put on your Sunday best for me. And gentle and lowliness, these aren't just things that Jesus does. These are, as he says, in his heart. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And I'm indebted to Dane Altland for this next point. And he learned this from his father, Ray, and he, Ray learned this from reading Charles Spurgeon. The only time... In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in all of those 89 chapters, the only time where Jesus opens up and tells us about his heart is here in Matthew eleven twenty nine. The only time when the Son of God pulls back the curtain and opens up his heart to us, what's actually deep down in his heart, it's here. 
The heart is the motivational and animating center of all that we do. And Jesus is saying, if you get right to the heart of who I am, you will find me to be gentle and lowly. In other words, Jesus is just incredibly accessible. He is the kind of person that you want to spend time with because you always come away feeling uplifted, feeling built up and empowered. There is no pretense with Jesus. You never have to be on your best behavior around Jesus. His embrace to us is warm and is glad. This is why Jesus wants us to take his yoke upon us and to learn from him because he offers us a better righteousness than anything else could. Every single path and pursuit of self-righteousness leads us down a harsh and unforgiving road where the expectations will always be higher. In trying to make ourselves right on our own accord, there will always be an increasingly high demand on us and a decreasingly low yield. The world's way, the way it tells us, this is how you're made right with God, this is how you find happiness in life, this is your path to joy, it always seems immediate, it always seems immediately effective, it always seems really, really easy, but the proof is always in the pudding. And the sweetest pudding is in the gentle and lowly character found deep, deep down in the heart of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus says that in him you will find rest for your souls. Even that word find is spectacular there. It's where we get the word eureka from. It implies discovery. And isn't that a charming thought? That in a lifelong apprenticeship to Jesus, we're going to discover rest. The more we come to know Jesus, the more we find out about Jesus, the more we, we, we attach ourselves to Jesus and, and come to him, the more we will be schooled by him, the, 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 the greater our rest will become. The more we find our, ourselves at rest in this very restless world. And that's a point that we should be making here. It's not just physical rest, it's rest for our souls. He's not promising that our circumstances are going to come easier now. It's our souls that will get the rest. Our deep selves. That souls, that's the word psyche. It's where we get, it's, it's, it's the stuff that really makes us us. It's, it's our agenda, it's who we really are deep down. That's what needs rest. Because when our souls are at rest, it doesn't matter what trials we work through. Though these trials might be difficult and unrelenting, the rest that Jesus gives us is from the center of his heart and it is for the center of our lives. It comes from who he is and it makes us who we are. Jesus extends this big open invitation. He reveals his gentle heart and now we get to end with Jesus' buoyant grace. He says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We've already talked about Jesus' yoke here, and we get here a bit more of an explanation. The yoke was this harsh, heavy thing to be carried by a beast. And here Jesus says that his yoke, the yoke that he offers us and invites us to take up ourselves, that yoke is easy. For a very long time, that verse has confused me. If I was to write the Bible, I wouldn't have included that. I would have said it differently. I would have said, and I will take your yoke from you. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, take up my yoke. It is easy. He is insisting on his yoke. 
And it really wasn't until I read Dane Altman's book that I fully understand what this meant. By insisting that we take his yoke, he's advocating an active, obedient faith. Not a passive one. He's inviting us into a whole new way of living. To to radically change our lives and, and, and orbit our lives around him and his righteousness. If I can reference Pilgrim's Progress again, reading that book as a child, it always confused me that right at the beginning of the story was when Christian actually lost the burden off his shoulders. Like, again, if I was right in Pilgrim's Progress, it would have made sense that he carries this yoke the whole way to this, his, this, this burden, the whole way to the celestial city, and right before he enters the gates, that's when the burden drops off. That actually what, he, what happens is he, he comes to a place of faith, he comes to the cross of Jesus Christ, and it's there, right at the very start of the book, that's where the burden is released. That's where the burden rolls off and is never seen again. And it's there that his dangerous journey, his very dangerous journey, begins on the path to the celestial city. And what Jesus is saying here, and I think what Bunyan is picking up, is that when we accept the invitation from Jesus to put our trust in him, it's not to a life of passivity, where we receive the gospel, where we are saved, but then our salvation becomes nothing more than a ticket in our back pocket as we wait around to die. That is only useful for us at the point of our death when it comes to entering heaven. Rather, the yoke of Jesus is the message of the gospel that both makes us righteous as well as compelling us to become righteous. So the gospel saves us. When we are saved, God declares us righteous. It's an act that is done once and cannot be undone. The gospel saves us. It also sanctifies us. It is the message that we return to to find the impetus and the joy in becoming righteous. If you're a Christian, it means that you are just like Jesus in regards to your standing before God, and you are also slowly becoming like Jesus in regards to the life that God has set before you, and that one day will become a day where you'll be perfectly like Jesus. That's the past, present, and future aspect of our salvation. The past is our righteousness, is our justification. The present is our sanctification, and we look forward to a day of glorification. And that's what makes his yoke easy and his burden light. Becoming righteous is an impossible task. We can't do it. We can't become righteous. And yet Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's an impossible task. We can't do that. We can't make ourselves righteous. But the burden is made light by the fact that our righteousness is the declared righteousness of God over our lives. In other words, the impossible task that we are beckoned to do has already been perfectly done and finally achieved by Jesus. The burden of Jesus does to us what helium does to a balloon. It lifts us up. The call to become righteous, to be obedient to Jesus, to to conform our lives around Jesus, that is not a heavy yoke, that is an easy yoke because it's it's already been achieved by Jesus Christ. Therefore, obedience to Christ is something that we can rejoice in and be glad about. We can enjoy the process of becoming like Jesus. You might be feeling weary and heavy laden right now. 
And the insistence that what you need to do right now is to go deep with Jesus, that might sound like more work to you. But by going deep into the heart of Jesus, that's the only place we'll find rest. To quote Dane Ortland again, it's like telling a drowning man that he must put on the burden of a life preserver only to hear him shout back, sputtering, no way, not me. This is hard enough, drowning here in these stormy waters. The last thing I need is the added burden of a life preserver around my body. That's the yoke that Jesus invites us to take on. Friends, the pathway of rest leads us right into the very heart of Jesus Christ. We need to go deep with him and really receive and own and adopt and believe in the righteousness that has been imputed to us by the free gift of his grace. We need to take hold of the righteousness of Christ and say, that there is what is true of me. The righteousness of God is what is true of me. Because it's only then that we know that we've been made righteous through Christ that our greatest problem in our lives, our sin, which separates us from God, it's the only way that sin will ever be dealt with. We can try and try and try and try again to remove that sin from us, to make ourselves right with God out of our own means, out of our own energies and efforts. But it is an impossible task. But the good news is that we have the free gift of righteousness in Jesus Christ who makes us righteous, not because we've done something to deserve it or because we've earned it or because we might add some kind of special edge to God's kingdom, but because he loves us, because he loves you. And in making us righteous, God glorifies himself. God glorifies himself by making us righteous. If you want to give glory to God, receive it. Receive the righteousness. Receive the fact that you are now right with God when your faith is in him and nothing can change that. If you're weary from your attempts to make yourself righteous, come to Jesus. If you're overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus who says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 